You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your host, Brittany Luce. I rotate a lot of different TV series for both work and pleasure, but if there's one show I'm always caught up on, it's Abbott Elementary. I'm Janine Teagues. I've been teaching second grade here at Abbott Elementary for a year now. As a product of the Philadelphia school system, I'm proud to say I survived and now teach here today. It's a workplace comedy that follows a group of teachers at a Philadelphia public school. It's roaringly funny, sweet, and I think it's fair to say that Abbott Elementary has captured America's heart. The show also touches on real issues like underfunding and teacher retention, all through the lens of humor. So today, I've invited two amazing writers on the Abbott team, Brittany Nichols and Joya McCrory. What's your favorite line you've written so far on the show? And Brittany, we'll start with you. I think it's maybe the Tariq. You know I'm a feminist. That's why I let you pay for all my stuff. And Yeah, and I appreciate that. Oh, that line is so perfect. It illustrates everything about his nonsensical way of thinking. Nonsensical, but almost well-intentioned. Oh, that's exactly it. It's my heart is in the right place. I'm just a real journeyman in my own mind. <laughs> Joya, what about you? I think I'm going to go with Ava. Who gave you permission to put this on my wall? Is this Comic Sans? Just because I'm on a vendetta to get people to stop using Comic Sans. Today, we hear from these talented writers and learn how they went about creating a world that feels both authentic and funny to teachers across the country. One of the themes the show touches on is underfunding in public schools. All right, guys, so there have been three presidents since this one, okay? It's an old book. So here's where I taped in the others. Could you tell me how you approached touching on this topic with care and also through humor? I went to Detroit Public High School, so it's something that we dealt with in real life. And I think a lot of people in the writer's room also have come from similar backgrounds. Hmm. So yeah, I think even just pulling from our day-to-day experiences when we were young, they still relate today, sadly. Hmm. Brittany, what about you? Yeah, it's, you know, an experience that most people have going to school. That's the kind of school that I went to. I went to a <laughs> high school that was, you know, 94% Black and underfunded. We had to put a ballot measure to try to get funding so that we could just have a normal school experience. Unfortunately, race isn't the only indicator when it comes to funding for schools because just overall, the entire system is not performing the way that it's supposed to be. Mm. It's interesting. You bring up the fact that a lot of people in the writer's room have the same experience. It feels like you all's experience as being the children in that situation and seeing people trying to do their best comes through in the depiction of the teachers in a way. Yeah, I mean, personally, my beef was never with the teachers. (laughs) It never never felt like the teachers were the people that were (laughs) throwing us under the bus. And I think the same thing happens on the show where the teachers tried to guard us from the realities of what we were facing. They were never doing anything to let us know, hey, you're having an experience that is different than what a lot of other people get to have. It was an adult problem that they wanted to keep from being put on our shoulders. Mm. I think Barbara takes that to heart that she doesn't want her kids, especially because they're so young, to grow up with, you know, sort of a chip on their shoulder already. I wonder what other source materials did you all draw from to be able to 
approach writing about these topics through the format of a sitcom? I have Google alerts for the Philly school system. I just keep an eye to the news more so than Twitter or social media. But yeah, we just combine all of our our resources to kind of come up with fresh takes on things. One of the articles that I read during the first season was this ProPublica article called How Teach for America Evolved into an Arm of the Charter School Movement. And that, (laughs) I think, was part of the seeds for sort of where season two has gone. We also talk to teachers and ask them a lot of very specific (laughs) questions. (laughs) And also, there's so much absurd stuff that happens in schools that we sort of can just take the story where we want to take the story. Mm. And a teacher somewhere is going to be like, yep, that happened to me. I mean, my (laughs) stepmom is a teacher. And, you know, we didn't talk about any of the stories, but she'll still connect after an episode and be like, yeah, I remember the year was 1992. (laughs) And have like some very specific story about something that was in the episode. What's the most surprising thing that you've learned from a teacher or expert that's informed how you approach the show? I think probably their differing optimism, I guess. Hmm. You know, I think there are some people who are taking it day by day and just like every day that I show up to my job is a success <laughs> for the system. Mm. And, you know, there are other people who are involved who are talking about things like community schools and their optimism is such that they think that there is a way to turn things around. Mm. I think learning about the existence of the rubber room, uh, which is where... What is that? <laughs> <laughs> which is, and correct me if I'm getting this all wrong, Brittany Nichols, um, but <laughs> but it's where the teachers who've been in trouble go to kind of ride it out until they're allowed to go back to their classrooms. So it's kind of like oh. teacher jail. <laughs> I don't understand. How does that work? Well, it's essentially because they have union protection, right? right? right so right. they can't just straight up be fired a lot of the time if they have some disciplinary issue that's going on. So they just separate them away from children and have them collect their little checks uh, in the safety (laughs) of a secluded area until things get worked out and they, you know, can return to the classroom or go be transferred to a different school or whatever process it is that they're undergoing, like, complete. Is anybody going to the rubber room? (laughs) No, I'm sitting here like, is Ava going to the rubber room? (laughs) Thank God for the school district because they gave us $3,000 and I had to spend all of it. We'll have to see. (laughs) Coming up, Brittany, Joya, and I discuss how Abbott Elementary portrays intergenerational workplace dynamics like no other show. Stick around. Another thing that comes up a lot is the dynamics of having both younger teachers and older teachers in a workplace where retention is low. And even just seeing the differing ways younger teachers and the older teachers react to the environment of Abbott or the way that the Philadelphia public school system works. Joya, what unique opportunities for comedy lie in an intergenerational workplace? Even though Barbara's been at Abbott for so long and has been teaching for so long, Mm -hmm. I think the comedy comes in when we get to see how she deals with the newer things in education. Well, I, for one, prefer the tried-and-true methods over whatever the latest doohickey is. I mean, I have yet to see the program that can do what I do, teaching. 
how she handles pop culture things. Everyone loved that cold open with her uh, mistaking the <laughs> white actors and black names. Yeah. I'm going straight home. Put on a little Millie Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown. No one's done more for black actors than Tommy Lee Jones. James Earl Jones. And we just let her keep thinking that. I think that's where the fun is. And we never make fun of her age. It's just to see how the characters respond to them. Especially when our younger characters are doing bad things or messing up. Just to see how the older (laughs) characters respond to them. And if they let them fail just so they can learn their lessons or if they're going to help out. Brittany, what about you? I think that why our intergenerational relationships feel different is because it's based on experience, Mm. not viewpoints. Mm. Like, I think when people try to do that sort of boomer versus millennial or Gen Z or whatever, it's always like, you know, how dare you all want to respect more people and have more varied identities than we did. (laughs) It's really (laughs) sort of focused on this different approaches to the job. Um, That's the conversation that I think is sort of happening where we have Barbara and Melissa saying, we can only deal with ourselves. We can only deal with Abbott. We can only deal with our students. Our job is to be the best teacher we can for our students, and we cannot control what is happening around us. And then you have these younger people who are coming in and saying, okay, but what is happening around us is this all falling into So (laughs) this isn't enough. We can't just be happy Mm. keeping our side of the street clean. And I think that that's more of the conversation that's happening rather than the usual wag my finger at these young ruffians who don't realize how good they have it. That's just sort of a boring conversation to have. And I think isn't very interesting Mm. anymore. To me, it is about Mm -hmm. this sort of alignment that everyone has that these systems are failing and everyone wanting to feel like the way that they're attacking it is the right way. Because Mm. admitting that we don't know exactly how to fix it, I think is the scariest part of it all. I recently read a think piece on Abbott imagining an American school system that's free of police. There are no cops, school resource officers, and the teachers call out the school district and don't rely on it to fix any problems. Um, The teachers on the show show that for them, community means organizing. But yeah, the teachers really do solve problems themselves without having to go into these carceral solutions. Is that intentional? And like, what conversation did the writer's room have on crafting this kind of setting? I don't think we have discussed it at all. Hmm. Now that I think of my school experience, we never really had a heavy police presence or security at every door cameras, which probably really speaks to our lack of funding. But we were somehow still safe. So I think it never really even crosses my mind when Hmm. I think about it. The outside perspective of a place like Detroit is that it's so violent, but within the community, we all were looking out for one another, the students, the teachers, the parents. So, yeah, I never thought about, like, I wish there was a cop at this door to make me feel safe. I think that would make me feel less safe, actually. I can attest. It definitely did. (laughs) definitely did. (laughs) Yeah, and just to piggyback off what Joya was saying about it never coming up in the room, I think that's because that's just not where our brains go, right? When... Mm these problems come up and we think about just as human beings relating to each other, how would we solve this problem? At no point does a security guard or police 
come to mind. <laughs> and mm. no point do any of us say, and that would have kept this from happening. I don't think that having police at schools is the answer to what is the root causes of a lot of these issues, which is poverty, which is kids being hungry, which is they're not being support systems, they're not being alternative ways to deal with conflict, emotionally informed <laughs> counseling, trauma informed counseling, these things are what's missing. That's what's missing. And, you know, we can't just immediately fix that by putting those resources in school because the reality is that they don't exist. So it is what does it look like to have these people on their feet in these mm. situations. So it just truly, 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 truly just does not occur to us. Mm. So there's one plot line that I know y'all better have time for. Uh -oh. Okay, <laughs> I respect the fact <laughs> that much like Jim and Pam on The Office or Leslie and Ben in Parks and Rec, I understand that y'all are not just going to put Janine and Gregory together. I get it. By the way, thank you so much for helping. I know it isn't easy to coach someone who has the job you should have gotten. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to say yes to things when you're the one asking. It's narrative tension to do the whole will they, won't they. Really, for me, it's more like when are they? So when are they? Like, what are the conditions that make it ripe for Janine and Gregory's relationship to Bloom. Like, you don't have to tell me when. You don't have to give me an episode number. Although if you want to, I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. But where are each of them going to have to get to in their respective journeys in order for them to come together? Because we all know it's going to happen. Right, listen, Quinta has it planned out. She knows when it's going to happen. Ooh. She hasn't mm -hmm. even specifically told us exactly when or if there will ever be a final pairing that's the information she's really keeping close to the chest or if <laughs> listen that, that is don't get mad at me not my show <laughs> but i know that they just have growing to do as people and i think that if people really want them to ever get together and be happy together that is growth that has to happen in order for it to be a successful relationship I mean, yeah, they're, since they're both in their, their mid-20s, they still really do need to learn more about themselves before they could be a good partner. But um, every week I get a text from my grandmother, who's a huge fan of the show, and just saying, when are Janine and Gregory getting married? And I'm like, married? <laughs> you really skipped a lot of steps. Grandma and I are on the same page. We see the vision. We see the endgame. Brittany, Joya, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Abbott is one of my favorite shows, and it was really an honor to speak with you both. I mean, thank you for having us. Thank you for watching, and thank you for talking about some of the undercurrent and bringing some of this stuff to light. Yes, yes. Pay teachers more. That's the moral of my story. <laughs> Thanks again to Brittany Nichols and Joya McCrory, writers of Abbott Elementary. The second season is out now and going strong. Their holiday episodes have been amazing. So if you're behind, I hope you catch up soon. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Janet Ujung Lee and edited by Jessica Plachek. Thanks again for joining me today on It's Been a Minute, and you will hear from us very soon. Take care.